Uh, we're continuing in our study of uh, Genesis. Today we're in Genesis chapter 29 uh, of the blessing as we look at the, the life of, of the, some of the patriarchs, right? Of uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau wouldn't really be a patriarch, but, but uh, all and the sons of Jacob uh, as we start to look at the story of Genesis and how God is telling a story through the lives of these folks. That's for us. It's, it was written to tell the Israelites, this is who you came from. This is your family, right? It's a family history, but it's also our family. Uh, and, and we can identify with these folks, I believe, in more ways than one, uh, especially, God bless him, old Jacob. Uh, he is, he's, he's what we re- would refer to as a hot mess, uh, Jacob is. He is, he is truly a, a mess of a man. Today we're looking at uh, God's love for the unloved. Uh, and how that might apply to each one of us, especially. Today, this week, is my wife's birthday. Her birthday's on the 16th. And uh, so we went out last night with her mom and our son. They met us for supper last night. And, and you know how it is when, when you go out for somebody else's birthday? You act like it's yours, right? I mean, you don't get a candle, and you don't get to pick the dessert. But it's, I mean, you get a, you're going to order whatever you want, and you're going you're gonna to kind of do it up just like they would, right? You're going to celebrate, too. I mean, I mean, everybody likes a party, right? Everybody likes party, so so that's what we did last night. And um, you know, I get there and I'm thinking, you know, I I don't want to overdo it because I don't want to like come home all miserable, you know. And so I get there and and we got there a couple minutes late. You know, they'd already ordered the appetizers, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, come on, give me some more oysters. And so you eat some oysters, and then I'm like, that crab, their crab soup is delicious here. I'm gonna have to order some of that. And I so I eat some crab soup and. And then my son says, Dad, are you going to get the crab cake or are you going to get a steak? And I said, man, it's a party. Let's get both. <laughs> and so we do, and, and you know, and, and don't have to eat it all. You can take some of it home, but, but then again, it's better that day than it is leftover. So, so we ate, you know, we eat too much, and then dessert, are you going to eat dessert? No, I don't want dessert. Just bring some coffee, and then the dessert is sitting in front of you because it's a birthday, so you're going to get dessert. Okay, I'll eat some of the dessert. And I came home miserable. Came home miserable. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was an hour ride home, and uh, I, was, I just felt like that. It, I, I knew what I wanted, but I, I didn't get what I wanted. I got, I got what I wanted, right, because it all tasted fantastic. But, but it wasn't what I wanted, right? I wasn't satisfied, even though I was completely full, maybe too full. That was my problem. Satisfaction, I think, is something we all chase to be satisfied. Uh, and, I, and what I believe this text today, what it, what it tells me or what it told me, and what I believe it, God is using it to show us, is that the key to getting everything out of life, the key to getting everything out of life that we want, is realizing that, that I'm never going to be able to quite reach it on my own. Right? So the most important thing is for me to find the one who can help me reach it. That's my mission. Right? That, that should be the, my desire, is to find the one, the, the person who can help me to get all that, I, all that life is meant to be. That's what we see in today's text. That that is the key to true satisfaction, is finding the person, not to getting it, but to find the person who can help us reach satisfaction. So that's where we're headed today. 
We're, we're looking at the life of, of Jacob, and he starts out today in this passage, and it seems like everything is on the right track. I mean, if you remember last week, if you were here, you, you heard it, then uh, last week he, he had an encounter with God, and it seemed to kind of set him on the track, that, that, on the right track, right? He is, he's kind of had a spiritual awakening, and now it's time. Now it's time for him to live into that life, right? That's what we kind of left the last chapter feeling like. That, all right, finally, Jacob, you got it. But we see today that he doesn't really, he didn't really get it. He, he's getting something that he's not really wanting. So I'm just going to go through the text verse by verse, and we'll kind of go through it real slow. Uh, if you have a Bible, welcome to read along. It'll be up here, the scripture, the passages will be up here on the screen. But uh, if, if you use it on your, if you use that U version on your telephone, uh, that's probably the best Bible I've ever used. It's got every translation you could ever imagine. It even reads it to you, so you can read the Bible while you drive down the road. It's fantastic. Um, but anyway, we're in Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He's finally gotten to his mom's family, right? That's where he's on his way from. He's, he's running from his brother. He's ran 500 miles, right? He's 500 miles away from home, all by himself, it seems like. There's no one else in the story here with him. He's all alone, 500 miles from home, no GPS, no fold-out map, you know, that is no way to figure out where he's going, Only just him and the stars, and he's gotten there, he's arrived, on the run, but he's also looking for a bride that his mom told him, you remember, go and find a wife like me, right, <laughs> so he's, he went to mom's family to, to get him a girl, and here he is in verse 2, oh, he saw a well in the distance, three flocks of sheep and goats lay in the open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. Uh, this was, verse 3 tells us, that it was custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be replaced back over the mouth of the well. This is just kind of to, to keep dirt and animals out of the water, right? To keep it clean, keep it from getting contaminated. So they would, they would put this large stone over the mouth of the well. And when Jacob gets there, the well's not not open and all the sheep are gathering there but it's not watering time right they, they watered animals in the morning and the evening the, during the daytime they were out grazing but that's not what's happening here and jacob notices it he went over to the shepherds and asked where are you from my friends and they said we're from haran that's where he's going he's like excited do you know a man there named laban the grandson of nahor he asked yeah we do they replied is he doing well jacob asked yes he's well they answered, look, here comes his daughter Rachel now with her father's flock. I mean, he's finally arrived. We can kind of hear the, some, some, some relief in his voice. Finally, I'm back with my family. Right? Finally, I've gotten here. I finally got here. He's arrived. He's arrived. And then he tells them, knowing that that's his cousin, that's who he's coming to, that's coming, who he's coming to see, he tells them something strange. Look at in verse 7. Look, the sun is still high and it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back out to pasture. Like, like give them the water they want and you need to get back out in the field, right? Now, we don't know if Jacob's just, you know, he's an older guy. These are young shepherds. He knows what needs to be done. We don't know if that's the case. Or, which is probably more likely, is that he wants to be alone with his cousin. He wants to, be with, he wants to explain his, his situation to his family. Right? That's probably what he's, what he's up to here. Either way, they don't leave. 
So Jacob's still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd as well. And, and then Jacob does what your pastor did many times, and probably some of you guys have done as well. Guys are guilty of it, and you'll, you'll laugh when you realize it. Because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, and his mother's brother, because the sheep and the goats belonged to Uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. We didn't, you maybe didn't cry. But, but he explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her Aunt Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. All right, so, so maybe you missed it. But guys, you know we're, we're up to do this. Cute girl comes up. What would you do when you were a kid, right? You started acting strong, right? You got a little taller when she walked by, right? You'd do that. You'd, do that. you'd go find something heavy and you'd pick it up. Right? Because you want to impress her, right? That's what we did. Well, the problem is Jacob's like 70, and he's still that kid, right? He's still doing that, right? He goes and he picks up the stone that, that all these shepherd boys, they would all, they would gather together to move the stone because it was, it was heavy. So they'd do it together, but not Jacob. He's like, all right, come on. He grunts, and he turns green like the Hulk, you know, and he picks up the stone, and he moves it away and waters their sheep. And he puts the stone back. And he says, oh, look at me. I'm a man. You know, he's wanting to, want to impress her. That's what we do, right, gentlemen? Right? That's what you did. You don't do that anymore if you're married. You don't do that anymore. That's what you did. I know you did. Because we all do it. Jacob trying to impress. Trying to impress. And he must have because she ran and told her father. Why is that? You remember the last time that somebody from our distant cousins showed up in the story for, for Laban and his family? It was Isaac, right? He showed up with ten camels loaded down with stuff. Blessings, gifts for the family. Now, Rebecca, she's looking around, or Rachel, she's looking around. She doesn't see the ten camels, but, but they're probably here somewhere. He's got some gold bracelets for me, just like he gave to my aunt. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be a good day. Let me go get Dad. Right? Side note, he kisses a strange woman, and, and she didn't hit him. So nowhere else in Scripture do we see of this kind of this, a random kiss to somebody that he hadn't even introduced himself yet, but he kissed her, right? Like, that, that's, that's a little far. Even, under, you know, even if it wasn't COVID, you know, you wouldn't just go up to strangers, although some of us probably have kissing families. Any of you have kissing families? Like, like your family's like you all kiss each other all the time. Like it doesn't matter. Everybody's always kissing one another. I, I remember that when I was a kid, the first family I went to that was a kissing family, I thought, well, this is weird. <laughs> you know? Then I realized that's just how some families are. Like some are huggers, some don't do anything, and some kiss. And it's, uh, you know, so anyway, the, apparently Laban's family is a kissing family. You'll see, you'll see proof of that here in just a second. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him. See? It's just a kissing family. They're just, they're just a loving, conniving group of folk. <laughs> he embraced him and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban explained, You really are my own flesh and blood. He's like, You really are mine. You're my family. Hot dog, I can't believe it. Where are your camels full of gifts? Because <laughs> right? I remember when my sister had a visitor from far away from my cousins who'd moved off they brought all kinds of stuff now where you can laban is excited about this um, he's about to be disappointed but you see we can see god at work in this like jacob is 
gotten here to this point. I mean, it starts off well. Like Jacob was sent on this journey. He didn't want to come, but he did. Along the way, he didn't, he wasn't looking for God, but he encountered God. And now he's arrived. God said, I'll get you there and I'll get you back. Right? And and God has. God has been faithful. Everything is working. You know, you may think that, that that traveling for 500 miles isn't that big of a deal. But remember who Jacob was. He was the guy that hung around the tent. You remember his prayer, if you don't, back in chapter 28. His prayer to God was, feed me, clothe me, and keep me safe. Because I don't know how to take care of myself. I'm 65, and I don't know how to take care of myself. Right? That was his prayer. And God has. God has. He's gotten him to a place where, where family will help him. Or God will continue to help. Everything is starting out right. Jacob had the spiritual awakening back in Bethel, and now he's about to have another sort of awakening, not quite as pleasurable, here in Haran. And what he's awakened to is the price of love. You know the price of love is high, right? Yeah? I know Kirk and Angie are back there. Oh, you know, they're like, they're like elbowing each other like this. You know, they're like, oh, you know, but, but it is like, like they, for them, it's still fresh, right? Like, like it's still, it, it, it's real, right? And it, it changes the way we see everything about the world. And it's got a very high price. My son was, had a girlfriend back his, when he graduated from college uh, a year ago. And he told me, dad, I don't think this relationship's really going anywhere. And I said, well, you need to tell her. Like, especially before Valentine's. <laughs> and he said, no, I can't do that. And I said, it's going to cost you. <laughs> it's going to cost you if you don't tell her before Valentine's. You know, he wouldn't listen. But Jacob, he doesn't understand the cost of love. I wonder if that's because he's never really loved, cared about anybody. Like, Jacob, he doesn't have any way to compare, measure what, what real love, what love is going to do to him because He's always gotten over on people. If he couldn't out-talk you or just run over you, then, then he'd find another way to get what he wanted. It never really cost him anything. But, oh, my, is that about to change? That is about to change. Laban, Laban tells him in verse 14, You really are my flesh and blood. And after Jacob had stayed with Laban about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. I can't take advantage of you. You're my nephew. Tell me how much your wages should be. Sounds like Laban really cares. Sounds like Laban is a really concerned man here. But in reality, it's like, why are you still hanging around? Why are you still here? I'll share with you, when I was a kid, my, my uncle told me that very same thing. Like, you need to go and get your dad to sign some papers so I can write you off. Because why are you still here? I, I come home every day and you're in my chair, right? And he was kind of joking, but maybe not. I wasn't really sure, but he kind of laughed, but he kind of looked at me with that funny way that, okay, I'm not sure if he's joking or I need to just get out of his chair and go home. Uh, and that's what I did. So, But that's kind of what Laban is saying here is like, why, why are you still hanging around here, right? Are you, are you working for me? Am I paying you? Or are you just here for good now? See, because Jacob didn't show up with anything. By now they realize that there aren't ten camels. So why are you here? Let's find out. Laban had two daughters. The older one was named Leah, and the younger one was named Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. 
sparkle in the eyes. That's just a way for uh, the, the Bible to say she was not very attractive. Her name, uh, you know, if your name's Leah, uh, unfortunately, and, and names means cow. Uh, so it, it was, she wasn't an attractive lady, right? And so the, the basics of it is, is Ra- Rachel is beautiful. And so who do you think Jacob fell in love with? The beautiful one, right? Right. I mean, that, that's just the way it happens uh, so often in these stories, right? So, so he's in love with the younger daughter. The older daughter is still not married. And Jacob asked for the hand of the, well, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter as my wife. Laban agreed deal I'd rather give her to you than anyone else stay and work with me so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel but his love for her was so strong that it seemed like just a few days that's what Kirk that's that's the world that Kirk's living in back there right time's just flying on by because his head's in the stars and he's just right amen Amen. Amen. He's he's got to say amen now. <laughs> he's got to say she's sitting right there. He ain't got nothing else he can say. <laughs> but but that was that was just how it was for us, right? Right, Don. That's the way it used to be. <laughs> that the time just flew by because we were in love in such a way, right? It just like time didn't mean anything. What's seven years? I, I whatever. Okay, right. That's where he's at. The word here I have for you, ladies, ladies with daughters, with granddaughters, really encourage them not, like read them this story, send it to them today, email it to them, and tell them don't sell yourself short. Like a man who who wants your love will do anything, literally anything, like he will climb mountains, he will work for seven years if he's worth it. If he won't work for seven years, then his love is really not important right that a a man who truly loves a woman will give up anything for that love don't sell yourself short don't allow our girls to sell themselves short my daughter always says you know whenever she introduces me to a boy she's going out with i'm like "Eh, no i don't know i don't i don't think he's gonna i don't think he's willing to love you like you need like you deserve and and who does right Right? No one's going to love her like I think she deserves, but, but I want her to understand that, that she deserves someone to love her like that, right? Jacob had to work for seven years because he didn't have a dowry. He didn't have the ten camels loaded down with stuff, right? And so we think of his dowry as, as like, why would he pay for her? But in, but in reality, the dowry was given to the family as, as for two things. One, it was a sign of respect, a sign of, a sign of honor. Right? It was that you would, in, you would give, you would sacrifice financially for your bride. Right? It, was a, it was a way to do that. But it was also given as, a, as a, a, um, an investment for her future. Like if you got killed in battle or you, you died or you, you, you divorced her, that dowry would be what she would live on. So you would give it to the husband, to the father. He would hold it for his daughter in case you turned out to be a knucklehead like he always thought you were anyway, right? Like that's what it was. That, that was, no, 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 you've got to give me some security if you're going to take my daughter because her hand means a lot. And so 
seven years, which we think of, well, that's a lot, but it would turn into even more. I mean, it, it would become an immense amount of wealth. That's what Jacob was giving up here for this dowry. Verse 21. Finally, the time, time came for him to marry her. I, I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. He's got one thing on his mind. It's a honeymoon time. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. Dun, 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 dun. And he slept with her. Uh-oh. What has dad done? Laban also gave Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob? Raged at Laban. I've worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Says the, the, the trickster, right? The one who's been getting over on everybody just got got. And here he comes bumbling out of his tent, hung over, dressed like Fred Sanford with his robe hanging off and hollering, what'd you do to me? Right? I mean, that's kind of the picture. And Laban's sitting over there you know, in front of his tent like, <laughs> I wonder what took him so long. Like, like he just now figured it out? Yeah, I just now figured it out. Why did you do this? <laughs> and, and we're kind of at the same way. Like, why would he do such a thing? And then, then Laban says, did I not tell you? Did I forget to tell you? I must have left this out. I'm so sorry. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of a firstborn. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't tell you that, that those tires shouldn't be on that car. I didn't, I forgot. I, I, I meant to tell you that there was something wrong with that car I sold you, right? There was, it's like, like, no, you didn't, you don't forget to tell that. That was intentional. That was completely intentional. He was deceived. The deceiver got deceived. He got what was coming to him. Ecclesiastes uh, verse, or chapter 8, verse 11 says, Because the sentence against evil deeds is so long in coming, people in general think they can get by with murder. That's the fact of it, isn't it? That we think we're getting away with stuff. Because nobody knew. Nobody, it didn't affect anybody. Like, like I, I got there in record time, right? Nobody got hurt. Like, it, it wasn't that big a deal. It's not true. God says you don't, nobody gets away with anything. Everyone will be held accountable by God. Scripture is pretty clear about that. God is keeping score. Jacob, trying to upset the birth order again like he did in his own family, he's trying to do it in another family, only this time it doesn't work out for him. It works out for his father-in-law. Verse 27 says, But wait, Laban tells him, you just wait until the, your honeymoon is over. Wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Hmm. What's he thinking? Provided you promise to work for us for seven more years. Seven more years. He's probably thinking, are you kidding? Okay. <laughs> right? He's like, but I love her. I mean, she's a hot girl with a boat. You know, I mean, I love her. I'm, I'm in. You know, I'm not going anywhere else. If he'd have been the thinking man, he would say, you know what? This really isn't working out the way it should. I need to take my wife and go back to Mama Rebecca and just 
explain it to her, that her brother is a terrible man. But instead, he says, okay. He can't refuse. He's hooked, right? He can't refuse. Verse 28. So Jacob agreed to work for seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. And Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Fourteen years of his life. And what did he get from it? A house with four women living in it. That over time, he'd wind up sleeping with all four of them. And he made it clear that he only loved one. How do you think that worked out? <laughs> you, you think that was a happy life? Happy wife? It wasn't nobody happy, right? It was miserable. Four wives, or four women in the house. He's sleeping with them all. And it's terrible, right? I mean, who, could, who would have known that this wasn't going to be a problem? Right? No, be careful back there, John A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But he wasn't young. He wasn't young. Up to this point, we see that, that, that Jacob is being a sort of a Christ in the story. Catch this, right? Because 14 years of his life, he's willing to give for the love of his life. Rachel. Jesus, whose scripture teaches us is the, the church is its bride. He gave his life, his whole life, not just 14 years, but his, his, his life to win the love, the affection of the love of his life, the church, you, right? And not only, not just the, the death, but he continues to give the church life in hopes that, in, in expectation that, we, the church, will love him back. And as a response to his love for us that comes first. Grace, right? Grace comes to us and we respond in devotion. We respond to God's love who loved us first. We respond in obedience. That's how it's intended to work. That's God's desire. So we can see that, that Jesus and Jacob have a lot in common. They're pursuing. They're willing to do anything to earn, to, to achieve the love of their intended. Jacob distorts it though in a terrible, terrible way by loving anything that comes by. Now, Jacob has not been the one that, that God has seems to have pity on in the story. I mean, it's kind of like the scripture just telling us what Jacob did. Laban, he certainly doesn't have the the favor of God. I mean, I mean, Laban has been, he's been getting over on people like Jacob always has been. And we can see that, that that's not good either, right? He's, he's taking advantage of both of his daughters and Jacob. Rachel, she had to go along with it. She had to know that the dad was sneaking my sister into the bedchamber. Like, like, why didn't she tell Jacob what was going on? If she really loved him. But she didn't. The only one that's, that God seems to be identifying with in the story is Leah, the oldest one. The one that wasn't loved. That's up to this point, right? 
Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. See, God blessed Leah, the one who was unloved. He identified with that. Why? So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Now my husband will love me. Kalish is that that word that she says. See a son. Behold a son. Kalish. Wanting her husband's love, she knew that God would, would bless her. But her husband's love was elsewhere. I think God really identified with Leah here because, because he understands. I mean, this is really God's experience with us. Is that he loves us and he loves us and he loves us. And, and, and we don't respond. Where God is wed to the church, he longs for the love of the church. But it's not soon coming. Genesis 30, 29, 33. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord has heard. He saw, and now he's heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Another son. Heard her misery. He heard her heart. Her faith, you see, was as real. Her faith in God was as real as her love for her husband. Her love for her husband was, was tangible. And yet, it wasn't reciprocated. Go on. Then she became pregnant a third time. It's like every time Jacob walks by, she gets pregnant. She, she came pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son, and he was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I've given him three sons. The fact of the matter is that... and. and in relationships as adults we understand this that and well if you don't you, you should by now that, that for men sex is uh, an appetite it's much like that steak I had last night right but for women it is so I'm told <laughs> not, not one but but so I, I've been told that that for women it is much more connected to an emotion right that you're invested in it for a man it's I'm full or I'm not Right? It's not like that. Typically speaking, right? It can be an expression of love, but for most men it's not. It's, it's something we desire, and that's kind of the end of it. But for Rachel, for, Rachel, for Leah, for Leah, it's, it's I want my husband's love. Verse 35, and finally, once again, Leah became pregnant. It's like, she, she keeps seeking his love. She keeps giving him what she thinks he wants. But he's not, that's not how you're going to get his love. She became pregnant. This time she named him Judah. For she said, now I'll praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. She realizes she can't win his heart. I've oftentimes had couples come, and, or one, spouse, one, of a, one, member, one spouse of a couple come, and share frustrations of, of they don't seem to love me like I love them, right? 
I mean, that, that's a realization I think a lot of couples go through. Seasons of marriage, right? It's hard. And, and sometimes husbands or wives will wander, right? And, and the, the, the spouse will be left with, how can I re-earn their love? And my counsel is always, you can't. You can't. That's something that God can do. God can restore that heart. But, but you can't re-earn that love that's been given away to someone else. It, the best thing you can do is, is seek God yourself. Pray. Ask God to work in them. That we can see it here with Leah trying to earn his love and, and not able to. Because that's not how love works. You don't earn it. Now the amazing thing in here is that, that like I said earlier, Jacob had just taken his wife and left before Rachel came in the picture. How much better off he would have been. If you, if you don't know, Leah and Judah, particularly Judah, is the, that's the line of Christ. That's, that's Jesus' ancestors, Leah. Jesus came from Leah. That, the blood on the cross was Leah's blood, right? It was her line. As a matter of fact, every Jew that's alive today traces their lineage back to Judah. See, see God was at work in her. And she, she doesn't know all of that. But in this, she stops and praises God because he's all I have. He's all I've got. I don't have my husband's love, but I have God's love because he's shown his favor to me. And that brings three things that I just want to close with. Three lessons. Three principles that I see played out here in the text. First one is lessons that we learn easily are quickly forgotten. Jacob, coming to Haran, he, he, he falls asleep on a rock and encounters God. God just amazed him, right? It was a transformational moment. And yet Jacob didn't invest anything in it. He just went down to, went to sleep and God appeared. He woke up and he continued on his journey as far as we can tell. He didn't invest anything in that relationship with God. It was, a, it was an, an easy lesson that he hadn't put anything into. And now, next time something attractive came by, hot girl with a bass boat, he was like, what's that? Well, God who? I'm all about Rachel now, right? He'd given away the thing that, that was, had captured his heart, God, now he's focused only on Rachel. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How is our mind transformed? By reading God's word. Allowing him to read into us. Praying. Spending time in worship. Seeking God. Asking him to teach us. That's how our minds are transformed. Not by just an encounter with God. The encounter is great. But it, but it takes time for your mind to be transformed, for God to rewire the things of the world that has taught you. Second, a lack of truthfulness is fruitful in division. A lack of truthfulness is always fruitful in division. I mean, we can see how Jacob and Laban's relationship here is, is already fractured, right? Why? Because they, they rely on each other, right? Just as Jacob's relationship with his brother, his father, it's all, all been based on lies, and it always creates division. Next week, we're going to see how this 
lack of truthfulness affects Rachel and Leah and their servants. Like it goes on and on and on, and it's going to go on for generations. That whenever there's a lack of truthfulness, we can always expect disunity to follow. In your relationships, if you're not willing to tell them the truth, don't expect it to be... That lack of truth is always there in the room with you. You know that, right? You know that. That if I'm not going to tell the whole truth, then I know that I'm... The next time I talk to them, I know I've withheld something. And I can't be completely me. can't be completely there. It always produces division. Romans 16... Verses 17 and 18 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions, put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Away, keep away from them. Verse 18, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Be truthful. See, there's this law of sowing and reaping. When we sow, we reap, right? We talked about this last week. That sowing and reaping doesn't just apply to sin in our lives. It also applies to holiness in our lives. When we sow holiness, we reap holiness. When we sow God's word into our life, we reap reminders of God's word in our life. When we sow time in prayer, we reap peace when we need it. When we sow in, in communion with God, we reap a relationship with our creator, right? It's sowing and reaping. It's the same way it works, not just in, in bad and and, and the effects of it, but the good and the effects of that. Sowing and reaping is, is real. Here in the life of Jacob, and it's real in our lives too. Third thing, God's grace is entirely independent. God's grace is entirely independent. I, I say this every week because I think we really need to, to, to focus in on this because in our lives because we strive to be good people. And that's a good thing. We should strive to be holy people. But we get, if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in thinking that my goodness is related to God's love. Like, because I'm good, God is good. God loves me. That could not be further from the truth. God loves you because God is love. That's who God is. He loves you. He loves the guy down the street. He loves the woman across town. He loves. God loves. Now, can you put yourself, by, the, by the, the way you live your life, can you put yourself outside of God's love? Uh, you can certainly put yourself in a place where God's love will not be made real in your life. Right? Like, like, like you can, well, Jacob, for instance. Is, is Jake, Jacob's known as a deceiver, right? I mean, has he acted in ways that God wouldn't bless? Yes. Yes, Sure. Does that mean God's love has come to an end in his life? No. I mean, look at it. Did he love his wife? No. Was it, is it right for him to love Leah? Absolutely. Did God's blessing stop? No. No. God's will continues on. The problem is, is that we can, we can act in such a way that we remove ourselves from participating in God's will. That's what we do to ourselves. That's not God. That's not God's judgment. That's, that's us bringing judgment upon ourselves because we choose to do those things. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. At the end of you, it's God's grace. When you get to the end of yourself, you know, when I, you're at the end of your rope, praise God, because that's where you find the Lord. Because there's no more of you left, right? That's why Paul said that. I delight in hardships, because when I'm weak, when I'm at my weakest, that's when I've got nothing left but God's strength, and that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. That's what Leah is discovering in this passage today that I've chased after my husband's love, I've pursued my husband's love, and I haven't been able to earn it, but yet God has been faithful to me all this time, and I can praise him. That's the bottom line. Our inadequacy releases God's sufficiency. When we can't, it's revealed to us that God still can as we seek him as we stay in a relationship with him, as we continue to pursue him, even though we can't, God can. Especially when we can't, God does, right? Our inadequacy releases God's sufficiency. Leah found it out. It took her four years, give or take, I guess, you know, of of four children before she got there. might take us just a few minutes surrendering our lives to him today it's my prayer for you would you join me god i thank you i thank you that you make promises promises that you keep promises to never leave us nor forsake us promises to hold us to help us to encourage us to strengthen us to be there when nothing else is. To be our satisfaction. To be our sufficiency. Lord, help us lean into you. We love you, Father. And we thank you for all you're doing. Continue to move in our lives, Lord, in our community, Lord. Continue to bring healing into relationships where we have sought to earn the favor of others. God, let us look to you to be our favor. God, we have, we have looked to, to do things our way. Let us be reminded to pursue your way first and foremost, not to waste time doing things any other way but yours knowing that as we, as we sow into you, into our relationship with you, God, we reap a harvest. We reap a harvest of goodness, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. All because you are faithful, even when we're not. We love you, Lord. Amen.